Welcome to the Gold Dome Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Karaoke. This week, we'll be covering the Right to Visit Act, Georgia's education budget, and proposed voter registration laws. Before we dive in, here's what happened this week. On Wednesday morning, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis sent a letter to the Georgia General Assembly notifying the beginning of an investigation into former President Donald Trump's phone call with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger concerning the 2020 presidential election. According to this letter, Willis will be requesting grand jury subpoenas in March when the Fulton County Grand Jury is scheduled to convene. Two Georgia residents were arrested this week in connection with the Capitol riots on Wednesday, January 6, according to the D.C. Attorney's Office. 23-year-old Benjamin Torre and 18-year-old Bruno Kua have both been charged with violent entry and disorderly conduct on the Capitol grounds. Additionally, Torre has been charged with assault on a federal officer and is currently released on bond. On Tuesday, DeKalb County announced a $21 million federal grant to fund the Tenant Landlord Assistance Coalition Rental Assistance Program, according to the county's website. The grant will provide payment assistance to landlords and tenants who have been negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. DeKalb County residents will be able to apply starting February 12th and are being encouraged to apply as soon as possible. Republican Georgia House Speaker David Ralston announced a $1,000 bonus for state employees on Wednesday morning. During the session, Ralston spoke on how this bonus serves as a thank you to state employees for their efforts during the pandemic. This one-time bonus will only be going to employees making less than $80,000 per year. This comes after a previously proposed $1,000 bonus for K-12 educators. The Georgia House of Representatives passed House Bill 134 on Wednesday, exempting certain meetings from the Georgia Open Meetings Act. According to the bill, meetings related to cybersecurity contracting will no longer be made public. The bill will still keep certain information public, such as which cybersecurity companies have been selected, as well as how much money is being allocated for them. The bill passed with a 170-0 to zero vote. Georgia educators have been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Fortunately, Georgia lawmakers are responding to their call for help. Here's Dason Johnson with the latest. On the motion, the yeas are 49, the nays are zero, and the Senate has ordered the at, that House Bill 80 immediately transmitted to the governor. The Georgia House and Senate are on track to deliver much-needed funding relief for educators in Georgia. House Bill 80, titled the Supplemental Appropriations Act, is set to be on Governor Brian Kemp's desk to be signed into law. This comes as educators and staff members statewide have been requesting more resources from the government during the pandemic. On Tuesday, January the 9th, the Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Blake Tillery explained the bill. On top of the $567 million I told you we were able to add back into QBE, we were also able to fully fund growth for K-12 uh, for this year. Staff employed by the Department of Education are set to receive a $1,000 bonus. This move was praised by state school superintendent Richard Woods. He says the bill addressed several of their top legislative priorities for the year and that Governor Kemp is continuing his commitment to education. The bill comes at a time when school counselors need considerably more resources to assist with children's mental health, teachers are having a hard time adjusting to the new environment, and student enrollment has slowed. Chairman Tillery also thanked legislative staff who helped fast-track the supplement budget. House Budget Office, uh, House Budget and Research Office and their staff, as well as the Senate Budget and Evaluation Office, who puts in hours upon hours during this time of year to make sure that, that all these numbers in this, what's 178 pages to us, but it's really life, uh, lifesaver to others, uh, is, is right. Some educators are criticizing parts of the bill that provide funding for private and charter schools as well as voucher program. Cherokee School Superintendent Brian Hightower 
said the budget is diverting taxpayer dollars to private schools when the lawmakers' first duty is to fully fund public education. The legislation is now on Governor Brian Kemp's desk awaiting his signature. Dason Johnson, Gold Dome Debrief. The state of Georgia played a big role in the 2020 presidential election and made history when the traditionally red state turned blue. Joe Sylvester has more on how Georgia Republicans are proposing legislation for voter registration and election security. Currently, currently our constitution is, is permissive. It's not, um, it's not prohibitive. So there are, of the 50 states, there are only uh, two uh, in the United States that currently say that only citizens can vote. So ours is permissive. Uh, so we're trying to amend that. Republican State Representative Philip Singleton is the sponsor of House Resolution 56, one of the many resolutions and bills now before the Special Committee on Election Integrity. The resolution itself aims to guarantee that only citizens can vote in Georgia elections. Representative Singleton points to other states such as California that have allowed non-citizens to vote in their elections as a significant influence on the creation of House Resolution 56. In states like California, like San Francisco, when they did that, the constitutional challenge came out saying that they couldn't, that it was not constitutional. Um, but the, the San Francisco voting rules held because, like Georgia, California's constitution did not prevent non-citizens from voting; it only authorized citizens to vote. Across the United States, it is illegal for non-citizens to vote in federal and state elections. According to the website Ballotpedia.org, San Francisco allows non-citizens to vote in municipal elections only. Nine cities in Maryland have a similar law to that of San Francisco. Singleton says his resolution simply adds the word only before citizens of Georgia in the Constitution, and Singleton stressed that the word only is the important part. The overall response from Republicans so far is support for this resolution. The Democrats have all but decried this and similar measures being considered by the special committee. On Tuesday, February 2nd, Democratic Senator Nikki Merritt in an interview told the story of her grandmother growing up in the Jim Crow South and experiencing voter suppression. Merritt disagreed with Singleton's proposal. Now we have the 2021 reboot of Counting Jelly Beans. When I see the slate of vote-limiting attacks released yesterday, I think of elderly voters like my grandmother. Democrats have not called out any specific bill, but they favor making it easier to vote and not installing more barriers to voting. So what we did was come up with a package to counter that narrative and to let them know that we support um, expanding voter access and, and we just wanted to have a bill package that countered that message so people know that we're here, we're fighting for you, and this is what we propose, and we want you to have access. We think every we should be making elections easier. The Citizen Voter Bill is among many election voting proposals now under consideration in the General Assembly. With nearly seven weeks left in the 2021 legislative session, there is plenty of time to see which election bill, if any, makes its way to the governor's desk. Joe Sylvester, Gold Dome Debrief. The COVID-19 pandemic has made visiting loved ones difficult for many Georgians, especially for those with family in nursing homes and hospitals. Alexis Ceballos has more on legislation that may affect how you visit your family in care facilities. The House Committee on Human Relations and Aging met Wednesday for an intense and emotional discussion of House Bill 290. The bill, titled the Right to Visit Act, would forbid hospitals and nursing homes from prohibiting patient visitations during declared public health emergencies. The chairman of the House Committee on Human Relations and Aging, Jesse Petrea, began the meeting with a personal story about how his family was impacted by hospital visitation restrictions. 
I cannot tell you how many members have come up to me and, and spoken about an interest in this bill. Um, I will tell you that personally, I lost my father during COVID, not due to, to COVID. I lost my father due to a drunk driver at 8 a.m. But as he was in the hospital uh, as a paraplegic, dying, his family couldn't see him. I was able to see him, but my siblings couldn't. And I will tell you, it had a powerful impact on my family. This issue affects Georgians far and wide. The primary author of the bill is Representative Ed Setzler. He said the issue of visitation in nursing homes and hospitals has improved this year, but is still far from fixed. Family and close friends still do not have guaranteed access to their loved ones. He argued that loved ones serve as a critical part of health care. They are both patient advocates and caregivers. Setzler says relatives and close friends address important elements of care. Uh, HB 290 is a bill that recognizes that health care is more than pills. Health care is more than monitors x-rays, the production of meals, and candidly, the prevention of death of patients. Healthcare inextricably includes wellness. Setzler introduced a substitute for the original bill in order to define an essential caregiver. This person must be a family member or friend who has a steady and long-term relationship prior to hospitalization or long-term care. That person must be older than 18 and regularly engaged in companionship or assistance to the individual in the health facility. Facilities would be required to accommodate visitation for up to two caregivers who could visit a patient for at least two hours a day. These rights would apply to any individual who has been in a hospital or other care facility for longer than 24 hours. Some lawmakers raised concerns over virus spread, contact tracing measures, and PPE requirements. They questioned whether the bill goes far enough to account for those risks. Setzler emphasized HB 290 gives facilities the ability to impose safety precautions and reasonable time, place, and manner conditions for visitation. He also argued the current system is incapable of eliminating all risk. These essential caregivers should be treated under the same guidelines as healthcare workers. If they're an employee of the healthcare provider, they get to live their life and take their tests and put on their equipment or their, their PPE and go in and interact with anyone in any setting. But somebody that may be way safer, may have way lower risk by virtue of their being positioned as a non-employee, but an essential family caregiver, they can be turned away for any or no reason. We need to be about real outcomes, real health care, real science, Multiple lawmakers representing their constituents offered their own experiences in support of HB 290. Personal stories of heartbreak and isolation throughout the last year were presented to make a case for the bill's passage. Karina Yakomovich described herself as a private citizen who loves and respects her mother. At Wednesday's committee meeting, she testified about the essential care she can no longer provide for her elderly mother. Before COVID-19 restrictions, Yakomovich says she would clean her mother's dentures, help her eat, and clip her nails in addition to keeping her mind active. It's just not a casual visit. I'm trying to love on her and stimulate her and help her, which is helping the staff. When I show up, the staff is free to go and spend more time with other residents and other patients. My mother is being forced into this isolation and this separation from her family. She's not a prisoner. I mean, she shouldn't be treated as a prisoner. She's committed no crime here, and she is on borrowed time. The effects of visitation restrictions don't only impact seniors in long-term care. Gail Murkerson's story was recounted in testimony by a lobbyist on Wednesday afternoon. 
Merkerson's daughter Emily was hit by a car the day after her 26th birthday while on vacation with her boyfriend. From April 29 to May 6, Emily underwent multiple surgeries, was moved in and out of critical care, and taken on and off pain medications. In an interview with Gold Dome Debrief, Gail Merkerson said during that time she was only allowed one short visit with her daughter Emily. I got to spend an hour with her on Monday after she had been in there since Wednesday night. I spent most of the time trying to clean the blood out of her hair. It was everywhere. It was matted, you know, and apparently none of them took the time to even try to, to wash it out. She was told she couldn't visit anymore due to the hospital's COVID-19 policy. Merkerson has been a healthcare worker for more than 30 years. She claims hospital staff did not follow these policies themselves. She was required to wear a mask in the hospital, but Merkerson witnessed staff members who did not while they were around her daughter. She was moved three different times. She had surgery two times where they were intubate, where she was intubated. They never protected her from COVID because they were not following the guidelines. And I would not have known that if I hadn't have been there to see it. Emily developed pneumonia and died following days of confusion and excruciating pain. Her mother says that she struggles with guilt because she was unable to stay by Emily's side and advocate on her behalf. But Merkerson said she is willing to talk about her tragic experience if it might help protect other families and hospital staff. Because I've told my story because I want people to know that we have to stand together. We have to be advocates. And I cannot tell you the number of nurses that would message me and say, we need help. Debbie Gwaltney is one of those nurses. In Wednesday's committee meeting, she voiced her support of HB 290. Family visitors are not visitors. They're essential care partners. The truth is, it is almost impossible to provide safe patient care without bedside partners, family advocates. Family members are there to advocate for their loved ones, to act as nursing assistants, and to even be translators. Our nursing system is so broken at this point, and it's because we do not have the essential person there, the, the caregiver. Brittany Ellison is the deputy director of the Family Policy Alliance of Georgia. She and other religious-based organization lobbyists spoke during the meeting in support of HB 290 as a humanitarian issue. If a patient is near the end of their life and struggling alone, it is inhumane to deny them the ability to have a loved one by their side. No one deserves to die alone in a hospital bed with or without the risk of COVID. This has become a humanity issue. It should never have gotten this far. And you on the committee can play a key role in helping loved ones be back together. The Chief Compliance and Technology Officer at the Georgia Department of Community Health, Joe Hood, told the committee that the bill as it is written could put nursing homes and hospitals in jeopardy of losing Medicare and Medicaid funding. Hood acknowledged the overall problem but voiced a few concerns with the legislation. He said nursing homes and hospitals are subject to Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services safety guidelines. Failure to adhere to those rules would make facilities likely to lose Medicare and Medicaid funding. Private insurance plans would also not contract with facilities that become decertified. It, it would be our concern that if this were to pass, that it still would not have meaningful influence on those facilities due to their funding and due to their need to comply with CMS regulation. Tim Kibble of the Georgia Alliance of Community Hospitals also expressed concern about increased visitations. Our, you know, obviously the tragic stories that have been shared here would uh, wrench anyone's heart, and there absolutely is clarity that there is therapeutic benefit to people being able to be with their loved ones as they attempt to recover. But our concern is 
that every person who steps on the campus at the hospital heightens the risk of bringing the infection into the hospital unless we really thread a needle here. The result will be more families who have suffered more tragedies. Kibble offered to work with the committee to adjust the bill's language. Setzler ended the three-hour House meeting with an intention of fixing the bill to address the many legal considerations brought up in testimony. Alexis Ceballos, Gold Dome Debrief. Thank you for joining us this week. Gold Dome Debrief is a podcast by Fresh Take Georgia. It is produced at the Center for Sustainable Journalism at Kennesaw State University. Gary Green is the executive producer, Josh Azriel is the news editor, Carolyn Carlson is the managing editor, and John Thornton edited this week's episode. Please join us again next week for another Gold Dome Debrief podcast.